You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Luke chapter 6, go ahead and turn your Bibles there with me. If you don't own a Bible, have one with you. We have an usher in the back. If you'll slip up your hand, he'll bring one to you. If you don't own a Bible, this is just a gift from us to you. Take it home with you. We value God's words and not my words. So let's uh, dive into his together. So we've been walking through this gospel of Luke uh, for months now. And we have gotten to this section that is entitled the Sermon on the Mount. This is the best and most famous sermon ever given. And Jesus has just selected his 12 apostles from this group of disciples. And he's come down and he is now standing in front of a a great sea of people. Some are there because they want to get healed. Some are there because they've heard the buzz about this Jesus of Nazareth. While others are there because they are committed followers of this man God and they are going this is the Messiah this is the Christ we give it all if it takes less of me to have more of you take everything and that is this picture that Jesus is standing in front of a multitude of people and he begins to give this sermon and as we spoke about several weeks ago he, he first kind of isolates one group, these disciples, these people who would say that they are followers of Christ, and he gives them some things to do. And then he, he kind of shifts the conversation and the shifts the sermon to say, everyone who hears this, this applies to you. And now we lean into this passage, probably the most famous passage among those who are not of the faith. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got John 3.16 banners at the NFL draft, but if you talk to a non-believer, they will some way, in some fashion or sort, be able to say, yeah, don't, don't those Christians, they're not supposed to judge anyone, right? Because there's that passage in Jesus' sermon that says, don't judge. Am I, am, am I you got me? Because y'all are supposed to like nod at that moment. Oh yeah, I got that friend who always says that, but y'all didn't. So, okay, just make sure we're, we're tracking. This is, that, this is that moment. This is that moment where the whole world is kind of looking in and going, yeah, Christians, you shouldn't judge anybody. Well, is that what it says? Is that what it means? We're going we're gonna to dive into what he is specifically speaking of here, but in the greater context, what is he calling for And what is he really preaching over us? The title of my sermon today, if you're taking notes, is Fruit Comes Through Surrender. Fruit Comes Through Surrender. I want to read a few passages for you. The first set of passages are those that say Christians should not judge. Matthew 7, different uh, writer. This is the Gospel of Matthew writing the same sermon that Jesus gives in Luke 6. Recording it his way. It says, do not judge or you will be judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Romans chapter 14, verse 4 and 13. It says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Or excuse me, and he will stand for the Lord for... The Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 13 says, Therefore, let us stop judging one another. Stop judging. Don't judge people. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Judge nothing 
before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Colossians 2.16, let, let no one, guess what, judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a feast, a new moon, or a Sabbath. James 4.12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor. There's several passages and more that we could go through that say, hey, here are the places in Scripture that says we shouldn't judge. But what about the ones that do say that we should judge? Luke 12, 57. And why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? John 7, 24. Stop judging by outward appearances and start ju judging justly. 1 Corinthians 5, 12. Are you not to judge those inside the church? Yes, we should judge them. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competently to judge trivial cases? 1 Corinthians 11. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? The answer is yes. So here's the deal. We go through Scripture and you go, man, there's a contradiction. You know, the Bible is full of contradictions. No, it's not. It's always about context. There's always this place where we have to come and go, what, what exactly is Jesus inspiring through this writer for the church ahead? What, what exactly is this judging place? What does all of this mean? And as quickly as possible this morning, I want to give you some answers to what it means to judge and what it means to not judge. Uh, while we have our all-stars in the room, I'm going to bring them up here in just a minute. We're going to have a fun little game. So there's really a nuance in this judgment. And the first nuance that we need to recognize is that there is two camps in this judgment conversation. Those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. Okay? So first and foremost... If you look throughout Scripture and you go to several of these passages that I've already read for you this morning, what you will see over and over and over again, and it is not your job to judge anyone's else, anyone else's salvation. You are not God. I am not God. So I can't say, yes, you're going to heaven. That one's definitely going to hell. Like, that's not at all my job, nor... Is it your job? However, there is this place of fruit inspection. Fruit inspection. Where's my all-stars and JG? Come here, come here, JG. Where's my all-stars at? Come here, Clara, Shep, and Marlo. Hold on, hold on, sorry, sorry, hold on. I, I, I picked out three. I'm, I apologize. Come, I picked out three. I'm sorry. Yeah, Shep, Marlo, and Clara. I'm sorry. I know. I'm Big Bag Wolf. Just give it to me. Yep, I got you. I'm sorry. All right, here we go. So here's what we're going to do, all-stars. Are you all ready? Have you all ever had a caramel apple? Yeah, you like them? I've never had one. Well, hey, a first. Come on. Here we go. All right, Shep, go ahead and grab. Here, I'll, I'll just, here's your apple. All right. Yep. Don't stare at it too hard. Just, you know, can I get it off the plate? There we go. So here's what I need you to do. On the count of, on the, it's, it's massive. On the count of, I didn't get a trash can either. This is amazing. Here we go. On the count of three, 
I need you all to take a big bite chunk out of this. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on. Come on. Come on. That is that. What is that? What is that is what what is yours? Hold on. What does yours taste like? What does yours taste like? You don't know? Let's say it's caramel apple. What does yours taste like? Okay, you can go throw. Okay, apparently she don't. Chef, what, is yours, what does yours taste like? Cabbage. Cabbage? It's actually an onion. Chef got an onion. <laughs> Y'all can throw it in the trash right here. Y'all can throw it in the trash. Here we go. Here we go. Yep, you did. Here we go. Give it up for him. Give it up for him. Thank you. Appreciate it. So here's the deal. Here's where, where that illustration comes to play. Here, here's where this comes alive. What we like to do in our life is we like to take what we know is rotten and put something really pretty and that tastes good on the outside and wonder why our world doesn't work. So when we get to the end of this passage, Jesus is going to look at the people and say, for no good tree bears bad fruit. You and I have brokenness, deception, lies, all these things in our life that are corrupt. We are an onion, as Shrek says, a I have layers, right? But then we put things around us to make us look better, to make us feel better. And I think the primary reason is because we don't want you to know how ugly and stinky we are. And what Jesus says is you have to die of the onion and be reborn as an apple. That's obviously paraphrased, in case you didn't pick that up. And so when we lean into this idea of judging, he's going to give us some things to practically work through, but then he's going to land at this place where you need a new heart. So I don't want you to get like anxious or stressed out as I talk about some of these things that we are to judge and maybe some of the things we aren't about to judge going, I don't know if I can do this, because the answer is you can't. But Jesus in you can. And so we're going to get to that place here in just a moment. So as we walk through this text, verse 37 He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. You leave it right there. What exactly is Jesus referring to? Well, we've already read all these other scriptures where there are times where we should judge, and there's times that we shouldn't judge, and there's two different camps. There are folks in Christ, and there's there's folks outside of Christ. And so I want to kind of hit them quickly first. Those inside of Christ should receive some form of judgment. Oh, hold on, pastor. Hold on now. Here's what I'm saying. Let's say we're on a sports team together, okay? We're playing. You think you, let's, play, let's go baseball. It's baseball season, right? Mateo's my shortstop. Mateo is left-handed. Mateo can't throw a ball at all. Should Mateo be my shortstop? No, he should be my right bench, right? Because he can't throw. <laughs> now, there's a place on the right bench because Mateo is really good at encouragement. He's also really good at filling up water, and he enjoys it. He has got the service of hospitality. I don't know if all this is true, by the way. I'm just, this is off the cuff. This is free for you. So here's the deal. We all have a place in life to play, and in 1 Corinthians, Jesus lays out this plan through Paul, and the Lord says, hey, all of you have a gift, and you are part of the body, so function in your gifting and be a part of the body. Don't be something else. Well, if we begin to function outside of our gifting 
And no one ever says, hey, you know you're not really that good at that, right? Like if, if, if I was to be functioning in this place that is only constantly encouragement and mercy, we would, for those of you who know me, you know what I'm saying, we would be in a rough place because those two things are not my strengths. They are places that I can function out of, but they are not the strongest places in my spiritual walk, right? Preaching, teaching, administration, hospitality, those are tops for me. Encouragement, mercy, really low. But my wife is really high at encouragement and mercy. And so even in the marriage, as the marriage is this picture of the gospel and the church, he brings us together with people who help us, who complement each other. And so judgment begins first in the church for us to be honest about like, hey, Maybe you should be going in this direction. Maybe you should be serving in this place. Maybe you should be doing these things. It also happens in this place of accountability, right? I, I can remember I had a community group in my house one time, and we were going through a, a Bible study, and I had a whole uh, wall of DVDs. Anybody remember DVDs? I know, yeah. I had a whole wall of DVDs. I think at the time I was maybe the youth pastor, and some of the movies on the wall, I, I'm not going to tell you they were like, you know, the worst things in the world, but they were rated R movies, right? And the person pulls me aside and goes, hey, should be, should these, number one, should these be movies that you're watching, like pastor over children? Number two, should they be movies that you are kind of putting on display in your house? Now, we're not really going to debate whether you should, shouldn't, any of that today. That's not really part of my sermon. But here's the thing. There is, I needed that conversation. I needed someone in my life to be able to, number one, be open and honest enough with me to go, hey, should you? Didn't come out and say, hey, you shouldn't, right? This wasn't a, de a, you know, a deacon board meeting where I'm about to get fired because I've got, you know, whatever movie on my shelf. But this was a moment where another brother in Christ felt uh, impressed enough and felt, you know, kind of the, the, the calling to say, hey, should you do this? As a church, we should be collectively together close enough and love each other enough to be able to ask the hard questions. And go, hey, should you be doing that? Well, don't judge me. Well, yeah, actually, we are to be fruit inspectors. You can read it in 1 Peter. You can read it in many of the letters that Paul wrote. In Philippians, we just got done doing it on Wednesday night. There are places time and time again where the Lord speaks through these writers and he says, we are to look at each other's lives. If you are supposed to be this good tree that you've been given new life in Christ, we're going to check the fruit and make sure that it's not rotten. So in Christ, there is a place where we should 100% judge, but judgment is not this thing of going, did you hear? I should probably should do it this way so it doesn't hit, hit my mic. Did you hear? Right? Did you hear about Sally? Sally's just way out of field. Like she's, she's way off there. You know what that is? That's called gossip, Right? That's not, that's not brotherly, sisterly love and affection and judgment and accountability. It's when we, I individually, Matthew 18, you can go to this. I go to Sally. I say, hey, there's somebody in the room named Sally in there. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm not talking about you. I go to Sally, and I go, hey, Sally, I've heard that you're struggling with some of these things. How can I pray for you? How can I help you? And maybe not even like a text message because that doesn't even feel that personal, right? Grab a cup of coffee. Hey, Sally, I'm seeing this. How can I help you walk in this way? And in sin, that can come across like judgment. 
but in faith in Christ and walking with him, you know what that comes, that comes across as? As love. Truth in love. So in Christ, we are supposed to have those converse, conversations. We're supposed to be inspecting fruit. We are to be judging each other. We are to be holding each other accountable. And here's where it get, gets twisty. But for those outside of Christ, number one, remember, we don't make the proclamation of whether they are saved or they are not saved. Now, we can make a proclamation that says, if someone says, hey, I don't believe in Jesus, that means they're not a Christian, right? Or if someone says they believe in Jesus, but everyone can go to heaven eventually, that's not the right Jesus. That's not the same Jesus that I know that says no man comes to the Father except through me. So there is a point where as Christians, we, we hold doctrine in theology very highly. And we say, hey, there are certain things that it takes to be a Christ follower. And if you do not stick to those things, guess what? You are not a Christ follower. And so we need to kind of lovingly point that person to the truth of the Bible. Now, if they fully reject the Bible, here's where Christians can get in tough spot. It's when we try to put our personal beliefs on them. Why don't they act like this? Well, I don't know about you before Christ, but I wasn't really a good person. I don't know that I'm a good person now, right, according to his standards. But before Christ, I had nothing moving my heart, my morals, my ethics towards what he would call righteous living. But after Christ, I've been made a new creation, been given a new spirit. And I've been like a tree planted by water where the word is coming into my life and coming out of my life. And so over time, Lord willing, I had a, I had a middle school pastor tell me this one time, I'm, I'll never be sinless this side of heaven, but I will sin less. And that's what it looks like to be connected to Jesus. And when I'm not connected to Jesus, when a person is not in Christ, how are we to look at them and go, you shouldn't act like that? No, they should, because they're outside of Christ. Now, here's where it gets twisted. There are certain things, laws, morals, ethics, that God has given specifically to his people, but these things kind of oversee the world, and they make the world run a better way. This is where Christians can speak into, but we need to do it in love, right? The value of life. That's one of them. So this is that place where we have morals and ethics that are guided to us through, through Scripture. And so we need to be able to speak into moments to say, no, we do value life above all things. And so we, we make pro-life stances based off of the Word of God, but we should not judge the world that doesn't hold that stance. Does that make sense? Because we've been given the truth, the way, and the life, and they haven't accepted it, so why are our minds blown when they don't have that stance? Because I don't know if you remember what it's like, again, B.C., but your life before Christ was different, Lord willing. And so we need to make sure we're, we're holding the right people accountable in the right way. The Ten Commandments, those are great examples, right? Those are overarching teachings to the people of God, but they apply to the whole world. Hey, if you do these things, you're, you're, you will have a good life. Things will work out well for you. You go to this Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, when Jesus starts opening, you can go through them in Matthew 5. There's been time and time again, there's been students, uh, or, excuse me, 
youth pastors who have gone into high schools and middle schools kind of teaching character, and they've used the Sermon on the Mount as a basis for the teaching of the character. Now, they're in a public school, so they could never make profession of faith. They could never say the name Jesus, but every single one of those teachings is a good teaching. And so there's a place where we need to come into the world and we say, hey, here's what we believe and here's why. Here's what supports these things. We're not going to judge you if you don't receive them, though. So what does all this have to do with Jesus' teaching right here in this moment? What we need to know is that right here, when Jesus is speaking over this crowd, he is not speaking affirmative absolutes. He is speaking in proverbial language, meaning judge not and you will not be judged. Do you think Jesus is saying, if you never judge, you will not be judged? No. <laughs> right? Your actions don't control someone else's actions. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments where you, you're about to get into a dispute with someone, and you kind of hype yourself up like, hey, I'm going to make the right, de right decision. I'm going to use the right words no matter what else happens. And it always happens this way for me. I choose to take the high ground, and they don't either. Right? Or they don't. They take, the, they take the low ground. Like, I'm going in, I'm going to, yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then they take a shot at my character. Or they take a shot at this. Or they, they take a shot at that. Now, I didn't come at you with, you know, vinegar and hot sauce. Why are you coming at me with all that? I came at you with sugar and love. Well, if, if we took this for face value, the way I came at you should be the way you came back at me. That's not how relationships work, is it? That's not how conversations happen. We are only responsible for our actions. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. We know that one ain't the truth. I'm going to give you 10 bucks right now, right? Am I getting 10 bucks back? Probably not. So what these are, are Jesus speaking in proverbial language, and what he's kind of getting us to learn and getting us to see in step one is here is the way the followers of Jesus live. We do these things in a response to what he's given to us. And so we don't judge because he didn't judge us. He came with us with mercy and grace. Now, you deny his mercy and grace and there will eventually be an ultimate judgment. But as you sit on this earth right here and now, He's given you grace upon grace. And then he goes into this place in verse 39, teaching a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? No. Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And then he goes to this famous portion of the parable. Why do you see the speck, the small sin that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log. Some, some pastors usually get like a two-by-four at this moment, right? Hold it on stage and show you like the law that is in, or the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck, that small, minor sin, that thing in your life out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. Now, some theologians believe right here that Jesus has kind of shifted as he's teaching. They, they like to kind of dream this, right? That he's kind of shifted and he's looking at the religious leaders in the room. Now, this, this is all, he could, he could have done that. We don't really know. None of the other 
authors of the Gospels really kind of point us in that direction, but I do think it's interesting that as Jesus is addressing these different crowds, he gets to this place where there is a large number of people who are there to judge him, these Pharisaical, Sadduceical leaders, these rabbinical people, these pastors, so to speak. They're in the room going, all right, what's you got? What, do you, what do you have to say? And he looks at them and says, you look at everybody else in the world as if they're not good enough. Because their hair's not this length, the robe isn't this clean, they don't do these things this way, they don't give this money, they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, and they don't act like you, so they're not good enough, but you're missing the sin in your own life. I had the, the pleasure of going with a group of students this past weekend to Universal Studios for a 24-hour turnaround. Went to the park and walked around, about 10,000 graduating seniors. And there were several times in our haze of trying to stay awake and get on a, you know, ride and give us some adrenaline shots, where we'd sit back and just watch. And I, I guess, to a degree, I'm still kind of a youth pastor at heart, but as I'm watching this next generation of leaders and people in our country, you know, I can't help but have t- kind of two thoughts. The first one was just brokenhearted, the number of people that, just from the outside, to me, look like they are just so far from God. And then the second thought was, how dare you? How dare you think like that? You don't know them. You literally don't know anything about them other than what they look like right there. And this passage is exactly what Jesus is pointing us to. How often do you do that? How often do you look at somebody, size them up in that moment, and go, ah, nah. I, I, used to th- I used to think I had a really good talent for spotting the youth pastor. I actually won this several times. We'd go in public, and uh, you'd be at Taco Bell, because that's where they like to hang out, or <coughs> some pizza place or whatever, and I'd be sitting there with a group of people. You could always do it in a coffee shop. That's, not, that's like, you know, shooting barrel and a fish kind of deal, because there's always some sort of pastor in a coffee shop. But you could go somewhere, you can go, that dude's a youth pastor, because the way he dresses. You can do it now with worship leaders, because they wear skinny jeans, like all the time, right? <laughs> And they look like they're in a rock band, but, they're, you know, it's like, yeah, you're not really a rock band, but okay, cool. But we, we judge people constantly by the way that they look, the, way, the things they dress, maybe even the way they walk. And we look at them and go, that's so stupid. Why would you ever do that? Why, why would you wear your clothes like that? Why, 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 would, why wouldn't you put more clothes on? You know, like, why, why wouldn't you do these things in the entire time? We're not thinking about their soul. We're just judging them right here and now. Now, I'm not saying there, there isn't a time and place to have a conversation about what people do wear and what people don't wear and all those things. I'm just saying as a Christ follower, and I think what Jesus is asking us to do right here is to, number one, care for people and not care for the outward appearance of the caramel. Because... Every single one of us, before Christ, is this onion. And not even like a Vidalia that's like kind of sweet and really good, but like one of those really harsh ones. And what we need to remember is when he gets into the, the middle part of this sermon, really the end of the sermon for us in Luke, is he looks at the people and he says, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And if we're not careful... We'll read that passage and go, my aspirations in life are to be a good person. And if that is the aspiration, the goal in your life, you will never hit it. You will never reach it. 
But if the aspiration is to be a sacrifice poured out to Jesus, you can do that. You can repent, you can surrender, and you can say, I don't have much, but I give you everything. The band's going to come up, and I'm going to close. My challenge for you, my challenge for me, is as we leave this place, this room, all-star kid, middle school student, high school student, almost just like we sang leading into the sermon, let's surrender who we are so that we can gain Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's he who lives in me. If you want to have a good relationship with somebody, have a relationship with Jesus and let him lead you down the path of humility and surrender and how to speak and how to be less judgy and how to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And you know what? Your relationships will begin to blossom. You want to learn how to be a good business owner, how to treat people well. Follow the method of Jesus. Serve. Love. It's almost like this, this picture that he does with his, his, his disciples. At the very end, he's washing their feet. Be a servant leader and not a dictator over them. Now, there are times where Jesus looks at those disciples and goes, you done messed up, Right? And you can do that in Christ. You can do that as a, as a follower of Jesus. You can speak truth in love. As we watch the world around us, and many would say crumble, maybe we need to take on the lens of Jesus. And instead of being so negative, man, this world's just going to hell in a handbasket. It's just falling apart. I don't know, you know, how do we raise kids in this? How do we do, how do, huh, huh, huh. maybe we just sit back, sit back and go, you know what? Jesus is in, is in control. He told us to be fruitful and multiply. That we have dominion over this world. And his plan will reign supreme. If you were here on Wednesday night, we, we had an amazing time of worship and prayer. And we ended it with this, this thought. We sang a song called Raise the Hallelujah. It's a pretty pumped up, you know, driving song. And I don't know if you know this word, hallelujah, but it, it's only in Scripture in one place. The book of Revelation, Revelation 19. And it, it means to praise the Lord. That's what that word literally means. So, I raise a hallelujah. Like, praise the Lord. That's what it means. I raise a praise to the Lord. And it's only in one place. And it's this place where Jesus has just had the victory battle over Babylon. And his foot is on the neck of Satan. And it's about to be over for all of eternity. And everyone in heaven looks at Jesus and says, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so if you're sitting here wondering this morning, I, I, I have a problem with gossip, or I have a problem with judgment, I have a problem with condemning people, I have this issue or that issue, I have these sins in my life, raise a hallelujah because he has covered your past, present, and future sins. Give up your aspirations for goodness in the sense that you can control it because you're an onion and take on the aspiration to be a new creation in Christ and be an apple in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, as we
close our time in gathering this morning. I pray that we would remember that the gathering is a place to fuel us, empower us, to scatter. It's easy to proclaim words in walls like, hey, don't judge and live like this. It's a lot harder to live those things out. But your word says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in every single Christ follower. God, help me, help us to function in that. Help us to see that you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, if there's anyone in the room this morning that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I, I pray that they will be convicted right here and right now in this moment that they are an onion. That they are separated from the goodness of God because of their sin. That means that the shortcomings, the, the missteps, the failures, the bad decisions, they're separated from your holiness because you cannot reside near it. But, Jesus, your son, came, lived a life of perfection, and became the sacrifice so that they could forever be with you. They could be made new. The picture in Scripture is, is this, this dead bone pile moving and coming back to life. That is what we are in Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning, anyone underneath the sound of my voice, God, that you'll convict them to repent, to turn from all of that sin and believe in you, to receive that new birth, and as we've talked about this morning, to become an apple. God, this room's got a lot of struggles, trials. I pray for strength for people. I pray for healing where there needs to be healing. I pray for comfort in every situation. Help us to be the church that doesn't judge each other and doesn't look at the outward appearance, but looks for the heart and realizes that every single person is going through something. Help us to walk with each, each person in each situation. Help us to be a church that doesn't just love you, but from that love, we love others. Help us to be a sacrifice poured out at the feet of Jesus. And all God's people said,